You can be seated. We had an interesting 11 o'clock service last week. How many of you were here for the 11 o'clock service last week? Okay, we, I was teaching about 10 minutes, and there was a, one of our seasoned saints. She's been coming here a long time. Uh, she slumped in her chair, and I, I said, Kevin, you got to stop. So that, that happened, and she was out. And we didn't know what was going on, so we called 911. And for about 20, 25 minutes in the sanctuary here, the Holy Spirit was just sort of hovering. It was very sweet. People were praying, and they were ministering to her. And then about 20 minutes later, they took her out. Her name was Doris. She, it turns out she was dehydrated, but it was a little scary. But it was just a sweet time together as the body of Christ, as people were, everyone was just, it was just a, it was sweet. So, Doris is okay if, you, if you're wondering what happened with that. She's doing fine, a little dehydrated. Yeah. So uh, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 12. So if you can get your widgets and Bibles and all that out. Uh, 28 chapters in the book of Acts, 28 studies. So a chapter a week. And I hope that you'll read ahead next week for, in Acts chapter 13. My message today is about two things. Prayer and the preaching of the gospel. And they go hand in hand. So we are commissioned, the great commission, not the great suggestion. The great commission is that we're to preach the gospel to every creature. So how's that going? How is your life now witnessing to Jesus Christ? And I believe that what we need continuously, hand in glove, is being praying people about God's desire for our lives and how our lives become that witness, even as the book of Acts, you shall be witnesses unto me. In other words, we're Jesus' witnesses. At the end of the service, after we're done here, before we take communion this morning, I'm going to have a Jesus call. It's not an altar call. It's not Kevin calling. It's Jesus calling. And he's the one who wants to use our lives as witnesses to him. And our testimony, the Bible says, they overcame the devil by the, word of their te- by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Nobody can refute your testimony. Isn't that fabulous? And we all have very individual testimony. So I want to talk this morning about this whole area of prayer and the preaching of the gospel. And both are a challenge. Do you find that? They're both a challenge. And it's no wonder because both are central to our faith. Both prayer and the preaching of the gospel. So they're under constant attack by the God of this age, the devil. He's called the great dragon. He's called the serpent of old. He's called the one who deceives the whole world. We are under attack. There is adversary that we have, opposition we have, number one, in praying. We'll look at that this morning. And secondly, in preaching the gospel. So if you find that difficult, know this. It's a spiritual battle. And it's not going to be easy, either of these. Together, they're formidable. The devil doesn't like it when we pray, and the devil doesn't like it when we're preaching the gospel. So it's a formidable partnership that we need to understand is so essential, so central to our faith. And that's why we're up against it. That's why it's difficult. So Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, I want to begin with this passage. It's 2 Corinthians 4, if you want to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said this. Now, the Corinthian church, the letters are corrective. They loved the Lord. They were zealous like crazy. But Paul had to write to them to correct kind of how they were interacting and, and the things that were going on in the church so that when people came to the Corinthian church, they wouldn't think they were out of their minds. And a lot of things he was, he was dealing with. Well, Paul writes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, but even if our gospel, this is verse two, 3, 2 Corinthians 4, 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds 
the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So he's got them blinded, spiritual battle. For we do not preach ourselves. Now, the world doesn't mind if you want to preach yourself. The world doesn't mind if you want to preach the devil, certainly Buddha or any of these others. But when you begin to speak about Jesus Christ, you begin to preach him, it's, there's, there's a formidable obstacles uh, that come into play. So Paul's saying, if it's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So we're up against these forces of darkness that blind people to seeing the gospel. That's why I believe we need to be praying and asking the Lord to open the eyes of those who are blind through our prayers. I often pray, Lord, just give them a five-second little shine window open. Just something that sort of sparks that, what goes on in their thinking. So he says, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. This is all for Jesus, for his sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And listen, it will not be easy. It'll be necessary that we're strengthened with might in the inner man, that we put on the whole armor of God, that we're strong in the Lord and the power of his might. How? Prayer and, listen, preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is part of our spiritual armor. We're to be equipped, we're to gird our feet with the gospel shoes. So walking through this, this world, our armor is having the gospel shoes on. You got them belted on your, on your feet. In other words, where you walk, the gospel's going with you. Wherever you go, it's going with you. It's undergirding every step you take. So he says this, we have this, earthen, this, this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not our power. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Christ may be manifest in our body. So we're going through this world just like Jesus did. We are, we are dying for him. So we're living a life in dying for our, to ourselves and living for him. So do you get the little of the gist of what I'm sharing to begin with? When we go to pray, it's a battle. When we go to preach the gospel, it's a battle. We've been given the Holy Spirit of God to fill us and power us. So we put on the armor of God and we're going for it. So my question for you this morning is, how is that going for you? Is it, I, I, I know the book of Acts has raised this whole thing because it's all about, they went about preaching Jesus. They went about preaching the gospel. We have this great commission to go preach the gospel to every creature. How are we doing? May I say to you, it's an exciting adventure and God wants to give us victory. He wants to give us success. And I'm going to talk about that if I ever get to it after I'm done here. God is with us to empower us and enable us and use our lives because the most important thing in this life is what's going to happen when it's over. This life is short. It's a vapor. James said that. It's here in a, in a moment and gone. And you well know how quickly life passes by. So what matters is not this temporal existence. What matters is our eternal destiny. And that's why I want to say to you, let's be praying and preaching. Let's be praying our guts out.
for God to use us, however that works, however that is, is in your sphere of influence, however God's wired you. You are a witness. You are a testimony. You are a Christian. And Christians are called to be praying, preaching people. And when I say that word preaching, I mean we're declaring. Because we don't want to be preaching in that sense. What we want to do is declaring who? Jesus Christ. We're just bond servants of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote that in many of his letters. I'm just a bond servant of Jesus Christ. What's a bond servant? A bond servant is a willing slave. Can you hear an amen? I am a willing slave. God, you've got me, whatever you want, because I know that if you will, will inhabit me and fill me and lead me, my life is going to be very, very fruitful. It won't be easy, but it'll be fruitful. And it'll be something that counts for eternity. I want to take as many with us as I as many with me as I can. What can we take to heaven? Relationship. You can't take your car. You can't take your home. You can't take your job. But you can take every relationship that you have with you to heaven. And that's what I'm saying. Lord, please, may we shine as lights in this wicked and perverse generation. May we be preachers of the gospel, declaring Jesus Christ as best and as, as often as we can. Because life is short and eternity is forever. So he says in, in 2 Corinthians again, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed. How? Day by day. Every day we, we need renewal in this. And I'm hoping that this message this morning will encourage you. You need to be renewed and God is the great renewer. So we're being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now get the contrast. Our light affliction. It's not easy. It's not easy. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So you got light, weight. You got affliction, you got glory. You got moment, and you got eternity. What are you living for? We're living for eternity. So he says this. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So prayer and preaching is an eternal endeavor that we're called to as believers. So Acts chapter 12, let's read. Now about the time that Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, which is a seven-day uh, seven feast following Passover, spring feast. So when he had apprehended him, Peter, he put him in prison. And delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. I find that's kind of almost, it's interesting, that the Passover that saved the, the Israelites that, that night, it happened to save Peter here until God delivered him. He, so it's in the Passover, the reason he didn't kill him right away is because he wanted respect for his own gain, Herod, the Jews. So he kept him in prison. Now you remember that when Saul was persecuting the church, it was bad in Jerusalem. He gets saved. And all of a sudden we read the opposition began to fade away. And so there wasn't this persecution going on. But now it's coming up again. And Herod here is, is one of the instigators. Herod the king was, was a ruler who was popular with the Jews because he was part Jewish. He was known to do everything possible to gain favor with the Jews for his own 
furthering. So it was his advantage to harass some of the church to arrest and execute Christians. So he targets James and kills him. We don't know anything more than that. He just killed him. Then he arrests Peter. Next target. Why Peter? Peter was a well-known leader. Peter also had been socializing with Gentiles. And the, and the Jews who were not saved hated the Christian, didn't like this new sect. So here's Peter. He's a well-known leader, and he's, and he's socializing with the Gentiles. So he's a good target that Herod picked out, puts him in prison. Okay? Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, I find this fascinating because you remember the apostles in Acts chapter 5 were also arrested, put in prison. What happened? The angel comes along, delivers them all out of there. Wake up the next morning, where are they? I don't know. They're preaching in the temple. What happened? So this miraculous deliverance to the apostles. So Herod's going, that's not going to happen here. Sixteen soldiers around Peter. His arm, each arm uh, chained to a a separate soldier. So he's got him, and he's not going anywhere. (laughs) Don't you love the Lord? (laughs) You might think that, but bring God into the equation, everything changes. So, as Peter's kept there, now the contrast is obvious. Peter was bound. Prayer was loosed. Peter was bound. Prayer was loosed. That's what happens here. We'll come back to this. And all I say is the title, Keep Praying Church. Keep praying. No matter what's going on, keep praying. Now notice, while the church was praying, God was working. Verse 7. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, Peter, and a light shone in the prison. He struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. Now Peter thinks he's dreaming. (laughs) And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. He said to him, Put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him. And did not know what was done by the angel, that what was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened them of its own accord, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now wouldn't you have loved to have been Peter? Now, this is pretty cool what the Lord's doing here. When the church, when Peter's bound, when the church is praying, God's working. This miraculous thing. And so when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. I begin with these three thoughts. Keep praying, church, even though you do not understand what God is doing. And they didn't understand that. Keep praying, church, even though you do not know what God is doing. They had no idea. They're praying. Keep praying, church, even though you do not see what God's doing. Because God has ordained that prayer, he will answer it. So I say keep praying, church. Can I hear an amen? Keep praying when we don't understand it, we don't know it, we don't see it. God's working when we pray. I believe that with all my heart. When we pray, God is pleased. When we pray, God is working. We may not understand it, we may not know it, we may not see it. But know this, when you pray, God is working. Through your prayers. He said he would. So in this case, God blew their minds with an astonishing and totally unexpected answer. Now that to me is very exciting and is very hopeful. 
I say, Lord, I'd like to have some of those astonishing, unexpected answers. How about you? If I'm not praying, I'm never going to have them. When I pray and ask God, it might take a few weeks. It might take even some years. But listen, God is listening to our prayers, and God is wanting to answer our prayers. And that prayer of faith is so powerful. Now, that prayer, I'll talk about this in a moment, but we need to be understanding that faith is something we're exercising and that God honors. I may not understand it. I may not know it. I may not see it. But when I come to God believing that when I pray he's pleased, believing that when I pray he works, then God is going to be working something. And I may not see it for a while, but listen, God is working. Oh, I'm excited. It's so hopeful. It's so hopeful if we'll pray and preach that God will work. Notice verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Where many were gathered together, what were they doing? Praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Whoa, Peter's here. Don't even let the guy in. <laughs> but they said to her, you're beside yourself. You're insane. Now, they've been praying. No doubt they're praying to preserve Peter, save Peter. And here she comes. He's here. No way. That can't be. I mean, you ever have those things? You know, yeah, we're praying. I say keep praying even though you don't believe. Pray. Pray. And as God brings answers, all of a sudden your faith is stirred again. Wow, I prayed that. I didn't necessarily think it would happen, but I prayed it. I say go for it. Pray, pray, pray. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent. Oh, oh hold on. Now Peter continued knocking, and, when and they opened the door and saw him. They were astonished. Now, I think that this is the miraculous side of God answering prayers. I think that we, when we see answers, it's like to some degree that almost that astonishment that God wants to give to us. That he can do things exceedingly, abundantly above all that we not only ask but think. What are you thinking today? What have you been asking God for? So they were astonished, but motioned to them with his hand to keep silent. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers, you can imagine, about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, so God hid him away safely. He examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Keep praying, church. You never know when God is going to interrupt your praying with astonishing and totally unexpected answers. Keep praying. God wants to do that for us. How exciting. How hopeful is that? Verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aide their friend, so there's probably some bribery going on here with Blastus, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. Now Herod was a man who lived for himself. He was full of pride. He was, he was a guy that got on the throne but was never fit for the responsibilities of it. Very immoral. He, he, would, he was a master flatterer. This is all documented historically. There's a whole Herodian dynasty. He's one of them. Very, he ate, slank, he ate, slept, and drank himself. That's, he was just full of himself. He was living for himself. A charming flatterer, so he was able to get a lot of things, uh, get 
favor from a lot of the uppy, uppy guys to bring him into the throne and all these kinds of things. He was callous to people's needs. In fact, he took food away from them to show you just how callous he was. So this guy, Blastus, Tyre and Sidon were in Herod's dominion, and for some reason they had incurred his wrath. He was mad at them. Because these cities were dependent on him for food and grain, they wanted to make peace with him. And so they probably bribed this guy, Blastus, who was a trusted personal servant of Herod. Now, here's an interesting thing, and I think important to note. Yes, Herod lived for himself. Yes, he did a lot of bad things, but he didn't get away with it. Know this, because God took his life. The epitaph over Herod's, great, over Herod's death is, he did not give God the glory. God said, I will not share my glory with another. Whatever it might position it might be, whatever the people are that are, that are exercising themselves in this world, know this, they will answer to God. And they need the Lord just as much as anybody else. Amen. They need to hear the gospel just as any. They need our prayers. In fact, Paul told Timothy, pray for those, for kings, and all who are in authority over us, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For God does not want anyone to perish. He's not wanting that. He wants all people. That includes kings and authorities. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it hard to pray for those in authority over me. When I see some of the ways, but God said, Paul said to Timothy, you pray for them. You pray for kings and all who are in authority over us because they need the Lord as much as any of us. No different in that sense. But in their lives, as they're living their lives, they can get all the pride mustard they want, but know this, they will be humbled before a holy God on that day of judgment. Now's the day to humble ourselves, amen? Now's the day to get right with God. And so, verse 23, so on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And this is kind of a yucky little half verse. And he, he was eaten by worms and died. So, brother. <laughs> Herod's life ended painfully, physically, but it also ended, in a sense, eternally. He, he would be ushered in, not giving God the glory. Now, a couple like to read something from Josephus, who was a first century historian and apologist. He writes this about this particular incident. On the second day of the spectacles, clad in a garment woven completely of silver, so that its texture was indeed wondrous, he entered the theater at daybreak. Herod. There the silver, picture it, the silver, Illumined by the touch of the first rays of the sun, was wondrously radiant and by its glitter inspired fear and awe in those who gazed intently upon it. So picture Herod. Here he is. He's got his silver, you know, uh, whatever on. Straightway his flatterers raised their voices from various directions, though hardly for his good, addressing him as God, as a God. They would say, may you be propitious to us. They added, and if we have hitherto feared you as a man, yet henceforth we agree that you are more than a mortal in your being, unquote. The king, Josephus continues, did not rebuke them, nor did he reject their flattery as impious. But shortly thereafter, he looked up and saw an owl perched on a rope over his head. At once, recognizing this a harbinger of woes, just as it had once been a good tiding, he felt a stab of pain in his heart. He was also gripped in his stomach by an ache 
that he felt everywhere at once, and that was so intense from the start, he was overcome by more and more intense pain. This is Josephus documenting. They hastened, therefore, to convey him to the palace, and the word flashed about to everyone that he was on the verge of death. Exhausted after five straight days by the pain in his abdomen, he departed this life in the 54th year of his life and the seventh of his reign. 54 years old, he died. Why? The Bible tells us he did not give God the glory. Now we also read Luke's reference of worms suggests an infection by intestinal roundworms. They grew as long as 10 to 16 inches and they fed on the nutrient fluids in the intestines. So, yucky. <laughs> but let me say, that, that pain physically... That yucky experience in this world is nothing compared to what happened once he died. He did not give glory to God. God said, I'll not share my glory with another. So Herod's life was taken by God. But listen, verse 24, but the work of God lived on, and it lives on to this day. Verse 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So listen, keep praying, church, because there's still a lot of work to do. And we are called to pray and preach the gospel, among other things. To pray and preach the gospel. So verse 5 again, center. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was ordered, offered to God for him by the church. The contrast, Peter was bound, prayer was loosed. When the church prayed, God worked. So keep praying, church. Keep praying, church. Peter was, kept, was therefore kept in prison, but, now here's the clincher, but. My first of two triplets for you this morning. Keep praying, church, because prayer is a constant deciding factor. Prayer is a constant deciding factor. Peter's bound in prison, but prayer was made. It's the deciding factor in the spiritual battles that we face. It's the deciding factor in how we live our lives. So all other activities ceased and prayer began. And may God help us in the situations we face. When need be, at certain times, there's a need to stop everything else and pray. All other activities cease and we pray. I think of Esther, how she's up against the possible death of all of her Kinsmen, the Jews. She says to Mordecai, sends a message to Mordecai, her uncle, and says, hey, you call a fast. You have people pray. And I'm going to go in before the king. And I'm hoping he holds out the golden scepter, which happened. But, he, but what Esther said, we need you to pray. I think of, of uh, the commander Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, up against a massive army. What did he do? He said, get the people together and get them praying. When, all other, when things get get heavy, we need to cease all the other activity and pray. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he prayed and God answered. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 12, or verse 13. When I, God said, when I shut up heaven and there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, many of you know this next verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, our land needs God's people to be praying. 
This, this, Wednesday, this Thursday, the first Thursday of every Wednesday is National Day of Prayer annually. So this Thursday, we're going to meet here at 7 o'clock for one hour. And we're just going to read a little verse. Actually, you can prepare for it. Read Psalm 2. That's going to be sort of a little foundation just to read the scriptures. And we're going to pray for our nation. And listen, when we pray, God said he will hear it. When we pray and turn from our sin, God said he will hear it. He will be working. When churches pray, God is working. So if, you are, if Thursday night you can come out, 7 o'clock. We're going to read a little from the Bible. I'm pull out my guitar. We're going to sit around, whatever, however many come. And we're going to pray for our nation. So come, if you can, for the National Day of Prayer. All activities cease and constant prayer began. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God. So keep praying because prayer is a constant deciding factor. The other two, keep praying, church, because prayer keeps God a constant factor. Prayer keeps God a constant factor. When we pray, we realize God's in this equation. God's the one we're praying to. And they offered to God prayer. They weren't coming in demanding from God. They were coming in enjoying the presence of God and realizing our God is an awesome God. And he wants us to pray to him. Then also, prayer keeps our faith constant. Prayer is a constant deciding factor. It keeps God a constant factor. And prayer keeps our faith constant. When we pray and, and we're, we're bowing before God, I love to have prayer meetings. Because there is where I'm strengthened. There's where I, I've got other brothers and sisters with me. I'm saying, God, we're going to pray. And they help me to believe. They help me to keep the faith factor fresh. We need to be praying as a church. When we pray, when the church prays, God works. So God's all-powerful, everywhere present. He was in that prison. He brought the light, sent the angel. Oh, man. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't think I've ever seen an angel. The Bible tells us that. Be, be careful to entertain strangers because you don't know they might be the angel. You don't understand that. But God is in control. He commands all the angels of heaven. Hebrews tells us their ministry and spirit sent forth to minister to those who are, in, are inheriting salvation. Hebrews. It's fantastic. And God is the one that we ask about these things. If he wants to send the angel, I say, send them along. And he, you know, that's, that's, Anyway. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. So even though you don't understand what God's doing, you don't know what God's doing, you don't see what God's doing, even though I don't understand it, know it, or see it, I'm going to pray. We're going to pray. Because when church is praying, God is working. And that's what's going on here. So prayer is a constant deciding factor. Prayer keeps God a constant factor. Prayer keeps our faith constant. That's why we pray. And then we want to take that out to, to preach the gospel. Now, Prayer is God's means, I believe, by which we offer our whys to him. We offer our questions to him. Questions in this story. Why was James killed and Peter saved? I have a good, a good answer for that that's helped me a lot. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. Why were those soldiers, 16 of them? It wasn't their fault that Peter was missing. It wasn't their fault that Peter left. God released him through the angel. And yet Herod examined them and put them to death. Again, I have no idea. I don't know those things. But God does. And I trust him. And that's the other thing that this, this stirs for me. Someone said to me, don't forget in the darkness what you saw in the light. 
Whatever questions you might have, God's still God. Can you hear an amen? Whatever question you might have, and I don't understand, that's okay. If God were small enough to understand, he wouldn't be big enough to be God. And I'm perfectly content to allow God to be God. I'm not him, and you can be thankful for that. God is God, and we come to him. And that's where we bring our whys. We bring our questions. Lord, I don't understand this. Why? And God begins to minister to us in our hearts his presence, his power, who he is. You know, one of, the, one of the characters in the Bible that we're all familiar with is Job. Now, he had a lot of whys. In fact, in the book of Job, there's 24 times when the word why is used. Why, why, why? 20 of them come from the mouth of Job, and they're directed toward his situation, saying, you know what? Why was I ever born? He looked at his life living and said, it would be better if I'm dead. It would have been better if I was never born. Because he's going through so much agony. He lost his whole family, seven sons and three daughters in one day. He lost his health in one day. Destroyed him. He lost his wealth in one day. You can imagine him sitting on the ash heap there going, God, why? And then he has his friends come along. Now, he called them his miserable comforters. Well, Job, there must be sin in your life. Job, you must be doing something wrong because certainly this wouldn't happen if you were okay in your heart. Well, the Bible tells us right from the start, Job 1, that he was an upright man. He was godly. He prayed for his family. And God said he's a, and, and he's one of, he's, he's a great man as far as God's. And so Satan comes and says, well, you know, he's only great because, he, you know, you're so good to him. You take away some of that stuff and he'll curse you to your face. And so God allowed Satan to do these things to Job. And in one day he loses family. And one day he loses his fortune. And one day he loses his frame, if you will, his body. And he had these boils and all these things. And he's sitting in the ash heap and his friends come along. And they say, well, listen, even his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? That's what he was going through. And do you know what he said when all the wives are done? He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And I believe in prayer is where God gives us a deep, down, growing depth in trusting him for whatever's going on. We got the wise. We don't understand those things, many of But God wants to bring us to a depth of where our depth is so in trusting him with these things. I find it interesting. We're going to take communion this morning. Jesus himself had a why. When he was on the cross... Bearing the weight of our sin, tortured mercilessly by sinful men, hang him on a cross. And as he's on that cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? He could handle the forsaking of all his disciples. He could handle all the torture, all the pain, because through all of it, he's ministering to people all the way along. Women, don't weep for me as he's heading up the cross. To be hung on a cross. Don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves. All the way along, John, that's your mother. Mother, that's your son. And he's taking care of earthly business while he's going through this torturous death. But when he's on the cross and as darkness comes, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which points us to Psalm 22 where David himself, I believe, personally and then prophetically says the same thing. Starts Psalm 22. My God, my God, why, have you forsaken me? why are you so far from me in the voice of my cry? And it's so David himself going through this torturous death. Said, oh, oh. But he said, but oh, but I trusted you when I was on my mother's womb. It's trust that God was communicating to Job through, through David's stuff and for us.
We have our whys. We don't know what, when, and where many, many times. It's difficult. It's hard. It's painful. But our whys and our trust are going to God and sunk down in God. Wow. Okay. Let me give you the second triplet, and we'll, we'll go to communion. Notice it says, therefore he was, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered for him by the church. For him by the church. Here's my three triplets. Keep praying, church, because people need our prayers constantly. People need our prayers constantly. In fact, I'd add the second one. Someone needs your prayers constantly. Someone needs your prayers. Who in your life do you know that needs your prayers? That God wants to work in them. God wants to bring them to know him. Who do you know? Are you praying? You see, because people need our prayers constantly. Someone needs your prayers constantly. And the final one is is this. Is this. If we, the church, don't pray, who will? If we, the church, don't pray, who will? You see, we're the ones that have the access to God by grace through faith. We're the ones that have boldness to enter that place and and there find mercy and grace to help. An unbeliever does not. They may be praying, but as Paul said, or or rather the psalmist said, their gods have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have a nose, but they can't smell. They have a mouth, but they can't even mutter. That's the, uh, those gods, those idols, those things that God, people are worshiping. They're not God, and they can't help them. But, oh, we know the living God who has ears and hears, eyes and sees. Well, not physically, but spiritually speaking. God knows everything about everything. And so if we, the church, don't pray, who will? Who will? When the church was praying, God was working. And if we pray, he will. If we don't pray, who will? So keep praying, church. Keep praying. So we're going to take communion. And in communion, we're remembering his death until he comes. It's fabulous. On that cross, as Jesus suffered and died for our sin, God was completing the work of redemption that he had promised way back when man first sinned in the Garden of Eden. Right there, he said, I'm going to send a Savior. And he sent him. His plan from the foundation of the world was to send his son into the world, becoming a human being, and he might die in our place, the perfect sacrifice for all of our sin. Wow. Wow. How, did we, how were we saved? We prayed. We prayed. He said, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I know I've sinned against you. I know you've done a lot of things wrong. Lord, please forgive me. And then, Lord, thank you for Jesus coming to die on the cross for my sin. He hung on that cross for me. And I thank you for that. I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sin because of what Jesus did. And then, Lord, I'm asking you if you would give me new life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And the Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Not you might, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
So before we have communion, I'd like to ask all my brothers and sisters, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and right now pray? Because there is a battle going on. And maybe for someone in this room this morning, you're sensing and you know that battle. The battle is this. You know, you've heard the gospel. You know in your heart that you're not right with God. The Holy Spirit has been working in your life, and you may not have recognized that as the third person of the Godhead, but yes, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment, and of sin because you do not believe in him. But that can change this morning. That can change this morning. And so there's a battle going on, and you're experiencing that right now. Because you know in your heart you need to get right with God. We've all been there. We all understand that. You know in your heart and been thinking about it for a long time, maybe a short time. And here you are hearing the gospel this morning. Knowing that Jesus died for the sin of the world because sin separates and the wage of sin is death. Knowing that you need the forgiveness of your sins. You need to be right with God. And so you're battling that. And so I'm going to ask you this morning. If, you're, if you would take that step this morning in your heart of believing and acting on what you believe. So there's three things I'm going to ask you to do. First thing I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand up. By that, I can recognize you, and I'm going to begin to pray for you. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And the reason that's so important is because that's your obedience to the gospel. That's you saying, yes, I know what God's called me to do, and I'm going to stand up right now, and I'm going to make that decision. And when you make that decision, you stand up. All the excuses, all the fears, all the guilt will begin to dissipate, and you'll leave it behind, and you will be a new person in Christ. So hand up, and then I'm going to ask you to stand up, and then I'm going to ask you to walk up to one of the tables on either side. And that's where someone will pray for you and pray with you, where you can receive God's forgiveness, you can receive eternal life, you can receive the Holy Spirit, and you'll be a new creation in Christ. So those three things. So if that's you, as we're praying, Christians in the room, if that's you, would you raise your hand up right now and make that, say yes to Jesus this morning and keep it up because I want to be able to recognize that and see it as we're praying. It's the most important decision you will ever make in your whole life. It's the door between life and death, or death to life, hell to heaven. So we're praying. If that's you, just put your hand up so I don't miss it. I want to get my life right with God today. I want to leave here as a new creation in Christ with peace and joy. as we take communion. Animals are going to be passed out. And if you're here and you don't know Christ yet, we're going to ask you to let those pass you by. Because the emblems are our way of remembering his death until we come. So we who are believers, we're going to take these two emblems, we're going to receive them, and I'm going to ask you to hold them. And when, once we all have them, I'll come up and we'll take them together as the body of Christ. Because there is a picture here also in communion of the body of Christ. That we're all one in Christ. And so we take it together. And so the bread symbolizes Jesus' body broken. It's the picture of the Lamb of God crucified, sacrificed. Not a bone was broken, but his body was broken for us. And then the cup that you hold is symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. You see, for God to redeem us with silver and gold would be meaningless because God could say to a planet, he could say to a whole universe, be gold, and immediately be gold. 
but with the precious blood of Jesus, his only begotten son. That's how we're redeemed. So we're remembering his death until he comes. Remembering what he's accomplished for us. Remembering what he has yet promised us. And right now, we're still here on planet Earth. So this is where we need the renewal of the Holy Spirit. To remember what Jesus accomplished for us and will yet do for us. And so we're living this life in a tremendous, hopeful excitement of what God has yet want to do in our lives. So I'm going to ask you, as you take the emblems you're holding, just to close yourself in with the Lord. And maybe something from the message this morning spoke to you. Maybe something you've been battling. And to bring that in trusting God and praying to God, saying, here, Lord, here's the things of my heart this morning. I want to offer up to you again because I know that you already know. And I know that you want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. So, Lord, renew me. Would you do that in the privacy of your own heart as you're holding emblems? And then we'll take them together in a moment.